Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain was our Woman in Supply Chain episode, and I had the pleasure of talking to Deborah, who is Chief of Staff over at the U.S. Transportation Command. And we talked about all her journey, her journey in logistics within the military, her journey into civilian life, but also being part of the reserves and still doing what she loves for her country. If you missed it, don't worry. We have it over at the website. So let's talk supplychain.com forward slash podcast or on our woman in supply chain page or wherever you subscribe to Let's Talk Supply Chain. You do not want to miss out on that episode. It is absolutely incredible. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. This week, I am gearing up with Audrey Ross to talk to ISM Nashville all about logistics and planning and supply chain. So I hope to see you there. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a company who believes that the level of agility required to capture growth opportunities, plus the resiliency to manage today's risks, demands a new way of thinking. Their range of intelligent applications allow supply chain leaders to make the best business decisions using real-time information from across their entire internal and external ecosystems. Who is it? Well, find out after the question of the week. So the question of the week was, what's your favorite thing about working in supply chain? Bill Paul says, my favorite things about working in supply chain are the constant changes and evolution. The importance of what we do uh, virtually to, for virtually everyone on the planet and the opportunities it affords those who are willing to work hard. Davin, the people in this industry and the fact that every day is a new puzzle to put together make it exciting and challenging. Peter, the challenge of the unknown each day pre presents you with a new challenge to overcome, and that is what makes it really exciting. Chris from Right Sized Inventory, I learn something new every day. Jonathan, meeting a cavalcade of passionate and diverse folks from all over the world. Larry, what supply chain? Just kidding. For me, 
that plays an indirect procurement role that is often under the umbrella of supply chain or finance, which, make, which makes it really, really fun. And always a fire to put out or things to smooth over. Cheryl, I love the opportunity it gives to connect with people from different functions, different countries, and different cultures and coming together. Melissa, the challenge of always trying to optimize and balance between different goals, costs, service, and inventory. And Risha, I love the fact that working in the supply chain industry gives you the ability to experience the world as your product travels from raw materials to consumers. I love all of that. And thank you to everyone who joined us for our question of the week. Remember, we are back every single Wednesday morning on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we can't wait to hear from you. Now, back to today's podcast. And which company am I talking today? It is E2 Open. From channel shaping and demand sensing to business planning and global trade management, E2 Open offers a full suite of intelligent applications for every stage of your business's supply chain journey. They aim to unlock your potential with their expertise, delivering you end-to-end visibility, planning, and execution all in real time. I'm joined by Michael, president and CEO at E2 Open, to talk about why the company is a market leader, the impact of issues like COVID on supply chain, and why they chose 2021 to take E2 Open public. But before we do that, let's get to know Michael a little bit more. Michael Farlikas joined E2 Open in 2015 as CEO. In this role, he is responsible for leading the company's overall operations with direct oversight of sales, marketing, professional services, research and development, and strategy. Michael brings to E2 Open more than 20 years of sales, marketing, and leadership experience in supply chain management and enterprise software. Prior to joining E2 Open, Michael was the VP and General Manager at Roadneck Technologies, now Omnitrax, the leading provider of last mile routing and mobility solutions to Fortune 50 clients. Previously, Michael spent 11 years at Red Prairie, now JDA Software, in roles that included SVP and General Manager, Industrial Business Unit, and VP Industrial Sales. He also has held senior leadership roles at GATX Terminal Corp, now Kinder Morgan, an operator of petroleum and chemical distribution terminals worldwide, and CSX Transportation, a rail transportation provider offering comprehensive supply chain services. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Sarah. So happy to be here. I am really excited to have you with us today. I mean, we had Rebecca Nurad from E2 Open on the show back in January 2020. And if our listeners want to refresh their memories, that was episode 98. And a lot has changed since then for E2 Open, for the the logistics industry, and for the world in general. So I'm really looking forward to catching up and really talking about the transitions and everything that you've been doing over at E2 Open. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about E2 Open and let's talk about the recent public announcement. Why don't you give us some background on all three? Yeah. So uh, again, thanks for having, uh, having me here today. So happy to talk to you and, and your audience. Um, yeah. So the latest news is that we became a public company once again, um, about three weeks ago. So E2 Open, um, as, as you may know, um, was once a public company. It was taken private by a private equity firm. And uh, since that time, we've scaled the business fivefold. 
uh, in the last, say, five and a half years. And uh, now we're a public company again. So we're super excited about our future and uh, being part of the New York Stock Exchange and having permanent capital and access to capital to help us continue our growth pattern. Amazing. Amazing. Why don't you give us a little bit of insight into exactly what E2 Open does? Yeah, so we've been uh, in business since 2001, and we're an end-to-end supply chain software platform. We're 100% cloud-oriented. We're rather large, and we help the largest companies in the world with the most complex supply chains in the world. That's kind of the super tier one, tier one kind of customers are ours. And we help uh, those customers um, connect what is really a disconnected world. So we help them connect the outside in, which is all of their trading partners to our platform, and then end-to-end. So end-to-end to to us means starting with a raw material and helping them procure and secure that through multiple tiers of supply, through manufacturing, conversion, distribution, transportation, logistics, global trade, and even the sell-through. So if you put yourself uh, kind of squarely in the center of a brand owner, pick, pick the largest company in the world as a brand owner, manufacturer, Think of the problem from where they sit, which is I have to figure out what my demand is. We help customers do that through very advanced demand sensing algorithms. And then once I understand what my demand is, how do I fulfill that all the way back through the sourcing of raw materials in one connected platform? Uh, We're the largest supply chain software company in the cloud in the world, um, and we have the best customers in the world. So that's in a nutshell what, what we do. I really like that. And thank you so much for explaining to us what you think end-to-end is, right? Because I think a lot of people talk about end-to-end and they talk about what they what they want from end-to-end and what they want that to look like. But I feel like sometimes it varies from uh, person to person or company to company. Now, let's talk about going public. Um, yeah. You know, what does this recent New York Stock Exchange announcement mean for your clients? And why did you decide to go public now with all that is happening globally? I mean, we're still not even out of the woods with the disruptions that started in 2020 and seem to have, you know, come into 2021. Yeah, I think the, the simplest way to put it is we were ready. Um, you know, as we thought, scaled our business, um, we're a profitable business. Um, we really wanted a permanent capital base and wanted access to uh, different types of capital. So under a private equity ownership, it was a great way to transform a company, which we did. Um, but really, it, it, going from a private equity ownership stake to a public markets means that we have infinite hold periods for our company, which means we, we think this could be a very big company, and we have designs to make it a very big company. Um, so ha- being part of you know, the public e- equity markets means we have access to multiple forms of capital, which allow us to grow and, ex- and grow faster than we have, uh, we have so far. And in terms of now, um, look, the timing was just kind of right for us. You know, we were under private equity ownership for about five years, six years. And if your audience knows anything about that, that's about the time when private equity firms need to return capital back to their investors. Um, so we looked at all the alternatives, and uh, we thought this was the best alternative for our constituents. And our constituents are um, our customers, our team members, you know, our, our shareholders, and then our community. So we thought out of all the options we had in front of us, this was the one that would help those constituents the most. Amazing. And I like that, you know, because you have to have a focus on customers. And you and I were talking about 
uh, collaboration before we jumped yeah. on here. Can you just shed a little bit of light on how E2 Open looks at collaboration and, and how it's part of your philosophy? Because everyone listening knows that it's one of my favorite words. Right. Well, um, the first thing to know about our business is we're, we're a network-based business. We have 220,000-plus connected parties across four uh, ecosystems in our network. Um, it's the largest network in the world for supply chain and logistics. Supply ecosystem, demand ecosystem, logistics ecosystem, and a global trade ecosystem. Our company was founded on the basis of collaboration. So just a little bit of history, I'll walk you back to memory lane, back to 2001. Um, the company was founded as a consortium of high-tech manufacturers who came together to solve one particular problem, which was how can you work together across multiple tiers of supply to connect a very outsourced manufacturing process? And that was the entirety of the focus of the company for really the first 15 years, which is all about collaboration. So if you put yourself in a high-tech manufacturer's position, and even then, they had to communicate through three or four tiers of suppliers through back then fax machines, emails. And they would just literally trade information back and forth and then put it into spreadsheets and try to figure out what was going on. And Eat Open was founded basically to connect all those disparate systems so you can create one operating platform that enabled collaboration. So as an example, a brand owner, a high-tech manufacturer, um, will get an order. We, our system holds the bill of materials, and then we're able to collaborate with you know, all the hundreds of suppliers in that process, from just the suppliers to the you know, flexible manufacturers to the co-packers, um, to enable everybody to communicate on one platform in real time so the systems are talking to each other. So the whole foundation of our business is on collaboration. And then when we took the business private, we identified that that problem of connecting the manufacturing base was actually the same problem as the entire supply chain. Right. You could see that with how do you get data from from you know the 3PL community? How do you get data from transportation companies? How do you get data from um, you know the the shipping, the shipping container lines? How do you get information from the ports? How do you get all the information? Well, companies could either build a single point-to-point -point connection. And that means every company has to build that connection. Or they could you know, go through a company like ours where we have a repeatable network. And once we connect one party to that network, then everybody's kind of connected that participates. So that's really the foundation of our business is, is collaboration. That, that's, that's what we do. And we're the biggest in the world at it. Yeah, and it's interesting that you brought up fax, mach fax machines because I think around that time I was still using typewriters, and I don't, I don't know yeah. how how we extracted data from those <laughs> those typewriters. <laughs> you use whiteout a lot. I know, and um, so part of that collaboration and that connectivity is acquisition acquisitions and mergers, right? And it's mm -hmm. been a while since your last acquisition, and they're they're becoming a lot more common in the supply chain industry. And yep. E2 Open, you know, has successfully acquired several companies. So do you have any advice for any decision makers that might be listening to this episode today that might be considering this route or might be taking a look at acquisitions and mergers? Yeah, cool. Um, I'll, I'll kind of talk about that from two perspectives, if that's okay. One mm -hmm. is the, uh, you know, the company looking to make acquisitions. And then from the perspective of somebody that may, might be, you know, looking at entertain of being offered to be bought by somebody who's looking to, from the acquirer's perspective. Um, so from an acquirer's perspective, you have to really focus on integration, but you have to think about integration beyond just technical integration. So what really matters is in a software world, how, how do you technically integrate becomes a foundation. 
and that's really important. Um, if you don't get that right, then the value of the acquisition is really diminished. But it's, it goes much deeper than that, which is you have to really think through the go-to-market integration and the cultural integration and the back office integration. So as you think about you know, how you bring a company in, you have to really make sure that the people um, that you're bringing in to, the, to your company feel like they're part of something. Um, and you have to really think through the cultural aspects of that. And that's really critical because supply chain software is, is complex. Um, it, it only works because people know how to configure it and, and support it and make it do what the customers want it to do. Meaning if someone just gave you a disk of, you know, transportation management software, you couldn't do much with it unless you actually knew how to configure it and make it work. So people are really the most important part of a supply chain software business. So if you don't haven't really thought through how you're going to culturally integrate your people coming in to make one team out of that, you're really going to have a, a difficult time. Um, and then the, the go-to-market is really critical. You have to think through how you're going to manage and support and take care of your customers. And that has to be thought through well ahead of the acquisition, well ahead of the integration point. Um, so that, that's what we think about when we, we think about looking at a company. We focus a lot on the complementary nature of the combination, and we really think it has to add value in both directions, meaning the company coming in has to add value to our platform, but our platform also has to add value to the company and their customers and their constituents. And if it doesn't work both ways, then it's really not a valuable combination. Um, so I, and then from the acquirees, or I'm looking to sell my company perspective, you have to look at that from the exact opposite direction, right. which is, you know, how, how am I going to really, now I'm going to be living with these people for a while, no mm -hmm. matter what, even if you're just transitioning, how, how do you feel about that? Is, that? is that something you want to be part of? Are they aligned and they treat people and they treat customers in a way that you want them to be treated? That's really critically important. If you don't get alignment there, then really nothing else matters. And if it's just about the money, and that's all you care about, then it's probably not the right thing for your for your business. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm really glad that you brought up the people again, because when I talk to people about the best thing about supply chain itself, forget the software and the technology or or what have you, they talk about the people and the community of people that are in our industry. And you know, as important as it is for a supply chain software company, people are the cornerstone of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis in supply chain. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. Now, you, know, you talked about earlier the end-to-end um, yeah. supply chain solution that you guys provide. And you know, you've been very vocal about the need for end-to-end -end visibility across the entire supply chain um, and how that's more important than ever in the current global business environment. Tell us, you know, why is that? Why is visibility a swiftly growing trend? And how is E2Open helping to facilitate that? And I ask this because I feel like people talk about visibility all the time. And I think there's a lot of people in the industry that still feel like we haven't even gotten there yet, fully. Well, I would say two things. It, it's true. There is no visibility, like at all. But I don't think visibility is really the... Um, endpoint. I think it's really a, a byproduct and maybe even a starting point, meaning supply chains from a technology perspective are completely disconnected. So if you put yourself again at the squarely in the center of a brand, that could be you know a really large apparel company, it could be a retailer, it could be a manufacturer. They'll <clears throat> oftentimes have you know eight or nine different systems 
that are running that does one or two little pieces of their supply chain. Right. Right. So supply chain software is extraordinarily fragmented. It's hyper-fragmented. So if I'm running one of those businesses, I have to try to figure out how I'm going to make seven or eight different packages work together. And the reason there's no visibility is because those systems were never meant to talk to each other. So mm-hmm. like, just think about it simply. If, I have a, if I'm a warehouse management company, I can really run a really great warehousing operation. I'm going to receive orders, receive inventory, figure out the pickback ship and ship it out. But, you know, the reason you get orders is for demand. And the reason you replenish that is because your MEIO said to. So all of these systems are actually connected end to end. Right. And, and that's the piece that is really missing because the software um, market for supply chain was really grown out of on-premise applications that did one thing or the other, a planning system, a transportation system, a manufacturing system. And the brand owner had to figure out how to connect them all together, which by and large is how they do that. It's a very difficult problem. So I don't think visibility is really the answer. I think visibility is just what you get when you have a well-constructed supply chain architecture. Like you get visibility by default. What's more important is an understanding of how these different aspects of your supply chain are actually related, meaning supply is actually connected to demand. Like when, mm-hmm. when, when somebody makes an order or tenders an order to ship something, you're shipping it for a reason. Some other system upstream or downstream has figured out why that needs to be shipped at that point in time. And it's not just visibility that's important. It's connected decision-making, taking yeah. in all the data that's available to make the best decision possible at the right time. Now, you know, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. Most supply chain software architectures focus on a data lake, which is let me collect a bunch of data and put it in a data lake, and then I'm going to look at that data lake to derive insights, right? Yeah. Completely ineffective for supply chains because supply chains are always in motion. They always change. They're stateless. Every minute of every day, something is moving your supply chain across thousands of nodes. So if I take all the data from all those nodes and put it into a data lake, I'm literally looking at yesterday's data to solve yesterday's problem. Right. right. So it's not a connected system. And I think that's what the opportunity is. So visibility is just, to me, really just a byproduct of a much, more, a much better architecture that receives data and makes decisions real time and then allows everybody to see how everything's reacted in one platform. That's really the end state is what you're trying to get to. Yeah, and I'm glad that you described that to us, right? Because like I said, people are talking about visibility all the time and they're talking about it in various different aspects and how you've really put that into context is around connectivity. And so linking the two words together when we're talking about end-to-end solutions or visibility. And customer demand you know, often changes fast and impacts supply chains on the downs- downside of things. You know, with E2Open's broad scope, can channel sales, marketing, or operations tap into that connectivity, that visibility that you talked about? And does E2Open offer any solutions for the channel? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, we view that as a demand signal. So what you're trying to do as a manufacturer or even a retailer is figure out what my customer is going to buy tomorrow. Because if I can figure that out with 100% accuracy, then I can have much less inventory and be much more responsive to their needs. So the first thing you need to understand is what is my inventory position and my sell-through or point-of-sale information that's happening every single day. That's your demand signal. And then so we, we have solutions that do that from a retail perspective. 
and do that from a channel perspective. And the most important thing a manufacturer needs to understand is how much inventory is in the channel. Because right. that's the biggest predictor of what's going to sell tomorrow from the manufacturer's perspective. Um, so we take that data along with sentiment data, weather data, historical data, and put that into our demand sensing algorithms, applications, machine learning. It's the world's most accurate predictor. We've published paper, papers on it. Um, and that then gets your forward look at your demand at the item store level going out 24, 36 weeks. So we literally predict what you're going to sell at the wow. item store level, and it's the most accurate in the world. The world's biggest CPG companies use this, and the food and beverage companies use this tool. They take retail data, and they use that as a demand signal to figure out what's going to be sold. And once I understand what my accurate sell is going to be for you know two months from now, two weeks from now, then it makes it a lot easier to figure out how much inventory to place where, right, across retailers. Right. And so that's really the start of our application, our, our, our um, platform. And once you have an accurate demand, then I start thinking about SOP, supply planning, transportation planning, transportation execution, and then that feeds obviously back into your manufacturing lines, and then that feeds into your suppliers and what they have to produce. So demand is connected to supply, it's just that the system architecture is completely not connected. And, and that's, why, that's why we think we have a differentiated approach to really this very, very complex problem. Absolutely. And there's that connectivity again. So let's talk about COVID, right? We're not out of the yeah. woods yet. We're still in the middle of COVID. Hopefully soon. And hopefully soon, you know, it's had a huge impact on supply chains globally, you know, visibility or connectivity is one key part, but what else have you seen from your perspective that is critical for handling disruptions like a massive global pandemic? Yeah, well, our, our customers faced, you know, a couple of things all at once. Some of our customers, you know, really saw supply shock. All of a sudden they can't supply product. Right. Some of our customers had uh, supply shock and the demand shock, positive and negative. Like some of our customers, sales through the roof. Some of our customer sales, did there were no sales. Um, so, you know, helping them understand that ahead of time, really pretty important. And, and that, that's where our demand sensing uh, application came in. So we hit, we received port reports that says, okay, this is what our system predicted would happen four or five weeks after the pandemic started. It was actually pretty, pretty accurate. And then we, we developed lots of uh, solutions for the retail side to help really manage the retail side of logistics for, for our customers. Uh, and we're really proud of the fact that um, the state of Texas asked us to help out early on in April, and we stood up a kind of really world-class uh, system to manage their personal protective equipment in a matter of two or three weeks. So really super ha happy that we were able to kind of really pitch in and donate that um, to, the, to the state of Texas, which was really, really powerful for us. We did that, you know, really quickly, and they're still, they're still using that kind of today. So this affects everybody, this pandemic, um, and I think it, it highlights a couple of things in my mind. One is just how adaptive the world is. Like, it really adapt. I mean, it's a terrible situation, but the world adapted, you know, pretty rapidly, if you think mm -hmm. think about it. So that gives me some, some hope. Um, but it also exposes some problems that, you know, exist, um, you know, in, in, in supply chains and in terms of concentration of supply chains, in terms of, okay, how do I, you know, plan for and be able to be more resilient in the supply chain. And I think companies are starting to say, okay, I really need to think through that problem more mm -hmm. proactively and with foresight and not just be as reactive. So I, I think this, you know, in the long run is going to help 
um, as terrible as it was um, and is uh, for a lot of people. Um, but supply chains and the ability to get goods to people in the most efficient and the lowest impact way possible is, is going to improve on the heels of this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think also I would add in their diversification, right? Yeah. I think a lot more people are, are taking a look at other locations and their, you know, where they're manufacturing and what that could look like from an automation perspective, um, you know, and, and how they are manufacturing to potentially local economies rather rather than global economies. So I think that's still to, to be seen and, and to be rolled out, but I'm sure your customers, as they're making those decisions, feel very supported by all the solutions that you are providing over at E2Open. Now, you mentioned a success story around PPE. Do you have another example of a success story? Um, you know, that you can share with us that shows really how your solution helped a client and like, what was the challenge that they were facing? How did you come in with a solution and what ultimately was the benefit to that customer? Yeah. So um, we have lots of customers that are in this space of, you know, uh, you know, um, things for cleaning supplies and all of the things you would need for taking care of people. And part of our solution set looks at retail logistics and dealing with the retailer from the manufacturer's perspective. So, you know, really quickly on, we kind of identified ways we could look at our data that was more specific to what they saw was spiking demand and allow them to streamline some of the logistics. So they could do it in a more real-time way, say this sector needed more product versus this sector and help them with the diversion of that in a, in a very, very you know, short amount of time. So it's all about understanding you know, taking the analytics of what the case rates were and overlaying them with what inventory positions were so they can then start thinking about, okay, I need a little more here, a little less there. So we've had, you know, lots of examples of, of us doing that with, with our customer base, which kind of, you know, look, at the end of the day, supply chains are, are, are only built for one reason, which is to bring goods to people. Um, and people need goods. They need food. They need all the medical equipment and everything else. So, you know, being able to supply them or help our customers supply them is really our purpose. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring it back to the people. I love this. We're talking about collaboration and we're talking about people, two of my, my favorite topics. So Rebecca predicted that companies in 2020 should focus on embedding technology, AI, and learn how to leverage real-time channel data. She really hit the nail on the head with what she was predicting, probably without even yeah. knowing what we were going into with COVID. And I've been talking a lot about these issues over the past year, and I, I think that's only going to continue to grow. So considering COVID, considering brex Brexit and everything else, are there any other trends or predictions to look out for in 2021 and beyond? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing we're seeing now, uh, timely, is uh, I think I mentioned when we were uh, talking, is that one, part of our application set, we... Uh, um, are the world's largest booker of ocean freight for containers in the world. We, we Our platform routinely books roughly around 26%, 27% of the world's ocean freight. Every single day we book about 200,000 containers, and we're by far the largest that does that, um, by far. Um, and we've seen a tremendous uptick in that since September. Um, and the order of magnitude of around 24 25% increase year on year. That number over the years fluctuates by 1% or 2% to give you some scale. So it's 25% increase in ocean shipping container companies um, is off the charts. And if you look at the earnings release from, from Marist and other, you know, publicly held um, shipping companies, their, their demand is off, is off the charts. 
Um, I, I think that I think that's because of uh, people are changing their buying behaviors a bit. Yeah. Meaning they're they're doing obviously less service and experiential type of spending because they can't go to you know right. concerts and dinner and movie theaters and plays. So they're spending more on things on their home. So the flow of goods is increasing. Um, and then obviously you see a rotation, at least in the states, people from you know more urban settings to a little more suburban settings. You see a rotation where for the past 10 years, it was really rotating out of suburban you know, areas into urban areas. Um, so I, I think that that's going to actually um, help the economy come out of this in a really strong way. Uh, is manufacturing um, and goods have a much bigger multiplier effect than a service. So if you go to a concert, there's not much of a multiplier effect, whereas if you buy something for your home, you have a multiplier effect because you're supporting all the things that go into bringing that couch to your house, which, you know, all the materials for that, all the handling for that, the labor for that, the transportation for that. So I, I think that you'll see a pretty big uptick in overall economic activity coming out of that, mostly because, you know, partly because people are returning to travel and returning to normal life, but also that consumers buying behaviors, I think, have changed. And they're going to change for some period of time um, as a result of uh, the pandemic. And then, then besides that, all of the medical things that are you know, you're seeing coming on the line. So you know, I'm optimistic that uh, the economy is going to come out of a really terrible sort of situation and, uh, and become very positive over the next you know, 12 to 18 months. Thank you for sharing that. And it's true. You know, a lot of people that didn't uh, necessarily buy online or purchase goods online before the pandemic have certainly transitioned into buying online. And I was recently reading an article by Supply Chain Dive about how Walmart's e-commerce has increased or they're, they're, they're delivering 1.5 million, you know, pieces or goods weekly, which is seven times more than they were doing in 2019 and 2020. So I think you're right. I think the stats are there. You know, I think companies like Walmart are coming out with that kind of data. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing in the near future. But I think what comes with that is also going to be the automation piece. And I think that's what's really going to be able to help, you know, move the goods as fast as possible. Because, you know, obviously, people's expectations of deliveries, et cetera, et cetera, um, demand that. Yeah. So, sorry, did you want to add something there? No, no, I, I, I agree. Pe pe uh, companies will never stop trying to improve their supply chains, and they'll never stop trying to reduce the impact and cost of making goods and bring them to market. Like, that's a never-ending journey, right? So, so, that, so that, you know, that, that for our industry um, really – gives a lot of, you know, a lot of really good problem solving coming up because I'm pretty sure, you know, today's problems will be solved and then they'll be replaced by tomorrow's problems and then so on and so forth. Because, you know, and until you get the cost of goods to zero, then there'll yeah. always be you know, a desire to make it easier, more streamlined, more efficient, more effective, less of an impact to the environment. I mean, all of that's going to continue, you know, pretty much forever. So people that are listening and want to be, you know, and the supply chain, you know, world, it, it's really the most important part of any industry. And that's why companies exist is to make goods for people. Um, and, and it's really a, a very vibrant um, kind of, you know, industry that'll go on really forever. Yeah, absolutely. I love your passion. I'm super passionate about this industry as well. And I can't talk about it enough about all the exciting opportunities that, are still even to come that we don't we don't even really know about. And yeah. 
you know, to that point, let's wrap this up. What does the rest of 2021 hold for E2 Open? I mean, you guys have been on a roller coaster ride over the last couple of years, you know, with those mergers and acquisitions and now going public. What else do you have in store? Well, we always have plans. We have a, we have a strategy. We have a plan. We continue to execute that plan. Uh, more, more than anything else, it starts with um, taking care of our constituents. Like if we if we really focus on adding value to our constituents every single day, then we'll have a great company. You know, and 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 really the constituents are our repeat are our customers, our people, our communities, and our shareholders. So if you really just focus on getting up every day and adding value to those constituents, um, you'll have a great business and um, you'll be you know you'll be well thought of. And I think that's kind of what we want to do is just to, you know, be in, be in a position where we can build a business, build on some pretty, you know, bedrock principles, which is how do you take care of the people you take care of? Um, so that's kind of what we're up to. And we hope to do some big things going forward. I cannot wait to see what that looks like. So today we covered a lot of different topics and I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you and getting into some key industry issues. You know, it's been a really, really interesting discussion. Thanks so much to the team over at E2 Open for making this possible. And a big thanks to Michael for joining us today on the show. Thank you, sir. I'm really, really happy to be here. And, uh, Good luck to you. I listen to your podcast always and can't, can't wait to hear what else you have coming out. Thank you. If you would like to hear more, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. And we even have a category filter so that you can filter through the episodes that you want to listen to. And remember to come back next week, Alison Cusack. She is joining us all the way from Australia. And we are talking about what she is doing as a shipping lawyer in this industry. And it is fascinating. You're not going to want to miss that one. And right now we have our Apex mini series happening. So you're going to want to go and check that out as well. If you are enjoying the podcast, there's a few ways to support the show. You can follow us, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com or subscribe to us on YouTube, and that's Let's Talk Supply Chain. Next, visit ships.com and sign up. We are in full beta, and if you are a forwarder or shipper that wants to streamline the pricing of your air freight and ocean freight shipments, gain access to more choice worldwide, and utilize the best of data to reduce shipping risks, then you, want to, you won't want to miss out on our platform. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And don't forget, go and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and we will feature you on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.